Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. All right, all right, all right. You guys, what a privilege it is for me just to be able to worship with you. Um, Scott was talking about it uh, before, like kind of at the beginning of worship, or years ago before this tent was ever here and before even the main sanctuary was, there were people out here just walking the land and praying over this land and declaring that this land would be a place where people would come and gather and worship the Lord. And that's before you guys were even born. So before you were ever born, people were speaking this into existence. And then years later, I was just thinking, it was February 2005, where I got a phone call from a friend at the time that, uh, I, was, I was actually, you guys know John Egan, he leads worship here, and uh, he and I were on the same floor together in college, and it was February of 2005 where we reconnected, and I was like, man, what are you doing? And he came over to my house, and we stayed up to like two in the morning, and when he came back from that trip, he was like, at, at the time they were in transition with the youth ministry, and they were like, man, John was just like, I know who our next youth pastor is supposed to be. And uh, New Life called me and I was like, no, I don't want to come to Colorado. <laughs> but I, I love it. And, I, and it was always a place, even as a child, like I was like, man, I would one day dream of coming to Colorado. But my, we had just had a baby. My family was in Tulsa, everything. And it was a couple months later that the Lord like spoke clearly and was like, you're supposed to be in Colorado. And so it was 15 years ago this year that I came out here and got to, got to start being a youth pastor here and watching Pastor Tim and Pastor Chase and Pastor Victor and all these guys grow up worshiping in this house just like I got to watch you do. And I, as I'm thinking about that, I'm just so in awe and so aware of God's goodness and God's faithfulness that years later we're still proclaiming the name of Jesus, that before this place ever was, that there were faithful men and women that were crying out and praying and saying, God, I pray that you would use this place to raise up disciple makers, that you would use this place to raise up a generation that would pray and seek your face and that above all else would seek you. So I want you to recognize that tonight, every one of you, no matter what condition your heart is in, no matter if this is your first time or your last time here, that years ago that people were praying that you would be in the room today, worshiping the Lord the way that you just were. And I just, I just am overwhelmed just being like, man, God, you are so good. You're so faithful. And I've gotten to watch that for 15 years now. And I'm grateful for this opportunity just to speak with you tonight. Sound good? All right, God is good, guys. God is good. Let's jump in. We are in a series about the Ten Commandments. I'm going to spend a couple minutes just kind of doing a little bit more like teaching stuff, uh, you know, and just kind of talk about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, um, they teach basic morality. You know, like it used to be that every courthouse in the United States had a, the Ten Commandments posted on their walls. And you know, with people declaring there needs to be separation of church and state, which is the wrong definition of what the separation of church and state ever was meant to be. But declaring that, you know, they, they forced the Ten Commandments to come out, and we've seen the moral decline in our country and the way that we believe things. But the Ten Commandments were given to the people of God, not given to the nations of the earth. And there's kind of a difference, and we'll, we'll jump into that uh, in a minute. But the Ten Commandments teach basic morality. The first four commandments 
reveal what it takes for us to have a good relationship with God. Everybody say relationship with God. The next six show us how to have a good relationship with other people. So like as you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are designated towards how we interact, how we can show reverence, how we can respect God. Last week, Pastor Tim was talking about the first one and two, which oftentimes just go hand in hand. You know, not to put any other gods uh, before him and to... uh, and not worship idols. So when we look at these, you know, we can see in verse 3, the commandment is, do not put any other gods before me. How do we keep that? We put God first in everything we do. And I just want to challenge you with that. I mean, you guys heard this last week from Pastor Tim, but the idea of like, how do we put God first in everything? It's not a, how do we say God is first? I'm not asking you how you can articulate with your mouth, yes, God is first. I'm asking you, how can you demonstrate and actually put God first in your life? How can you wake up in the morning and say, God, today I want you more than I want me? God, would you be magnified and glorified? God, would you be first? Um, How do you do that in your finances? How do you do that with your time? How do you do that in your friendships? How do you do that in every area of your life? How do you put God first? Do not worship idols. How do we keep that? We reject ideas about God that he himself has not revealed. We're going to talk about this one tonight. Twenty. This is Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, do not take my name in vain. Everybody say, do not take my name in vain. How do we keep this? We never speak or act as if God is not real and present. So how, what does that mean? Do not take my name in vain. Never speak or act as if God is not real and present. We'll dive into more of that later. The fourth one is keep the Sabbath holy. Initially when Tim talked to me, he said this is the one I was going to do. So I had a little bit of a change of plans and had to kind of re- uh, get my bearings before I, before I came into this. But that's to set aside a day to rest and remember God. There's a couple things that I want you to understand about the Ten Commandments too. One is that God gave these commandments to his own people. So the Ten Commandments were not given. I said this earlier. They weren't given to the nations of the earth. They were given to his people. The, the Ten Commandments was a covenant thing that God gave. And it's, it's called the Law Covenant. So we have that... Abraham, Abrahamic is kind of what they said, the Abrahamic covenant, which is, we see that in Genesis 11 and 12, where, or I guess Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham, and he, and he starts declaring things to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with Abraham, and we see that, but God gave the law to his people, everybody say his people, how many of you guys would identify as I'm one of his people, I'm a believer, Jesus is first. If that's you, like you're one of his people, the Ten Commandments apply to you. You know, when we, when we sometimes look at the law and say, well, man, I am saved by grace. I'm not saved by the law. Absolutely agree. There's nothing that I'm going to teach about that would contradict that. But I want you to understand the idea that when you're his people, that these laws, these are boundaries that he's set in place for you and I. And sometimes we can look at like the book of the Bible or the book of Leviticus and we can see as, as God gave the Levites kind of these rules to live by, we can say, oh yeah, the law no longer applies because we're under a new covenant. And I would just ask you to look at the Ten Commandments and say, well, which one of these doesn't apply today? You know, like, we say we're no longer under the law, but it's like, well, okay, so which one do you want to get rid of? You know, and I, I would just 
ask you and argue and just say, look, I think these 10 commandments that he gave to his people back then still apply to you today. How many can agree with that? Yeah? We shouldn't have other gods before him. We shouldn't worship idols. We shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. We, shouldn't, we should honor the Sabbath and take a day of rest. It's a day that we reconnect and we, we can learn to hear his voice again and follow him. We should honor our father and mother. We shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't murder. We shouldn't covet. I probably skipped one. What did I skip? Did anybody pay attention? No adultery, yeah. <laughs> Teenagers, you can't forget that one. Man, good night. We could preach all night on that one. Tim, just have me back in a couple weeks. I'm ready. God gave these commandments to his own people. God did not give the commandments to strangers and say, keep them and you will become my people. That's important for you to remember. God gave this to his people, people that were already adopted. He didn't give this to strangers and say, if you keep these commandments, then you'll be my people. A people who have been saved by God, which is you and I, will want to live the kind of life that the commandments describe, right? Second point, God did not force the Israelites to accept his laws. He first explained what he expected of them, then he warned of punishment for disobedience, and he promised blessings if the Israelites obeyed. The people, we see this in Exodus 24, verse 3, the people promised. Everybody say promised. Because there's something different here in a second that we'll, we'll jump into. The people promised everything which the Lord has said we will do. That's what, that's what the Israelites said. Everything the Lord has said we will do. So they listened to these commandments. The people of God responded. The Israelites were saying everything that God has said we will do. Did they do it? Did they break their promise? Yes. And that's kind of what I want to jump into because you have the Abrahamic covenant and you have the law covenant. And there, there's a massive difference and distinction between these two because God makes one of them conditional and the other not conditional. The idea of a covenant would be a covenant thing, and, the, and you actually see this in the Bible, that a covenant is when they would tear an animal apart, gross, like, in a, like separated in half. With the guts and entrails and colon all wrapped up, just stretched out. And if you said, like the idea was like, okay, we're both going to cross between this dead animal. Which is a weird ceremony. We're going to walk between this dead animal. And the idea is, if you or I break this covenant, what has happened to this animal, let it be done to me. Dang. For real. So, God with the Abrahamic covenant, he was the only one that crossed that line because he said, this is contingent upon my faithfulness and my goodness and not whether or not you're worthy. That I'm going to make you a great nation. That through you, the nations of the earth will be blessed. That through you, Abraham, you know, count the stars and as many stars as, as you can see and as the number of sand on the beach, that will be your descendants. These were promises that God made that were not contingent upon Abraham's faithfulness nor obedience. It was a covenant that God made with himself and he said, I will not break this covenant with you, Abraham. The Ten Commandments, though, this is, this is different because this becomes a covenant promise. Everybody say promise. 
Not the same kind of a thing where, hey, if you guys break this, I'm going to rip you in half. Thankfully. And it's not contingent. So, it, it, you know, the, the law covenant, had, we carry a responsibility. The Abrahamic covenant, we don't carry responsibility. That's just something that we can look at and we can still see God's faithfulness. So if we look at this, you know, who made commitments? In the Abrahamic, it's God. In the law covenant, it's God and the Israelites. The Israelites said, everything you've laid out here, we will obey. Everybody understand that? Like they had an active response in this to agreeing. So God laid it out. The Israelites looked at it and said, hey, we're going to obey this. We believe this. This is going to be good for us. It's contingent upon them. Who must keep their commitment? In the Abrahamic, it's just God. God is the only one in this covenant. Abraham doesn't have to perform anything. He doesn't have to do anything to deserve it. Just like every one of us, not one of us has to do anything to earn or deserve our salvation, that we are saved by grace through Jesus Christ who shed his blood for the remission of our sins so that we could be reunited with the Father. It's not contingent upon us. God saw you and while you were yet a sinner, while I was yet a sinner, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for us so that we could be reunited with him. That's the good news of the gospel. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't lose it because of our poor actions and our bad decisions. That we just have to continue to acknowledge God every day and say, he is God. I am not. He is the creator. He has a plan. And it's greater than mine. And I'm going to surrender my life to him. That's our response to it. Now, who must keep the commitments with the law covenant? God and the Israelites. What does the blessing depend on? In the Abrahamic, it's God's faithfulness. In the law covenant, it's the Israelites' obedience. That's us. What happens if people sin? In the Abrahamic, God fulfills the covenant. No matter what Abraham did, God was going to fulfill his covenant. What happens under the law covenant? God punishes the sinners. Bummer. It's real, though. When we make poor decisions, when we don't honor God, when we take our eyes off of him, bad things, man, just happen. Like, just rough stuff in life. Devil's got a plan. It's to kill, steal, and destroy your life. And if you want to surrender and run out from under the covering of who God is, there's an enemy out, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I just want to encourage you, keep your eyes, just like what we talked about the retreat, Philippians 3, keep your eyes above all else. Count everything else as rubbish. Keep your eyes fixed on him. What happens if we obey? God fulfills the covenant with the Abrahamic. God blesses the obedient under the law. What kind of covenant is this? One is a promise. The other one is a law. All right. So that's a little bit of background uh, on just some of the Ten Commandments stuff. I want to dive into this keeping. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. My wife said, well, this is pretty easy. Just put a slide up there that says, do not say, but it's like, what, say the name of Jesus? Like, I want to cry out in the name of Jesus. I want to, how many of you guys love when we worship song, when we sing worship songs and we're singing the name of Jesus, you know, that there is no other name. I mean, it's like, no, but there's a difference. And we, we, we looked at earlier, like, how do we fulfill this? You know, we, we have to understand that God is present and that God is real and that using his name in vain is, it's a very real thing, and it's, it's actually one of the things that, like, hurts, kind of grieves my spirit when I see it, when I hear it. How many of you guys, like, I mean, I, I hear it often. How many of you guys hear the Lord's name being used in vain often? How many of you guys would be open and honest and willing to say, 
man, sometimes I fall prey and I've, I've caught myself saying the names, Lord, and it's like, oh, Lord, forgive me. And I just want to like, encourage you, man, like if you've taken this casual, stop taking it casual. Like I think it grieves the heart of God when we do that. Like don't treat this, don't treat the name of God. That when we call upon his name, you know, and we'll dive into some scriptures later. But Jesus said, look, ask anything in my name and I will give it to you. Like his name is powerful. You can cast out demons. You can raise the dead. You can do incredible things in the name of Jesus. We shouldn't use it as a curse word. We shouldn't use it out of frustration. They, the Bible says, and I want to look at this. If you're taking notes, this is one to take notes on. In Psalm 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That I want every one of you to, to take stock in that right now, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because when you understand that there is a God, that he has a plan for your life, and that, and that you have to acknowledge and submit to who he is, and it's not you doing what you want to do anymore, but it's you're submitting to him. The fear of God and understanding, it's not to be afraid of God, but understanding the very real nature of God, and that one day we will all stand before him. And make an account for our lives and, and the decisions that we've made and how we've lived. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Because when you understand that, look, your life is not your own. It's been bought with a price. There will be a, a day where you stand before God and make an account for your life. Like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you start to get a hold of that and you start to revere and fear the name of the Lord. It's going to help you start making better decisions. So when we use his name casually or use his name in vain, I think we're going the complete opposite way and we're losing touch with like how powerful our God is. I want, to, I want you to recognize in scripture, and I'm going to read a handful of scriptures tonight, but in a, like there's, there's kind of some wild things that happen when God reveals himself to people. And over 20 places in scripture, when God makes himself present with people, when people have an encounter with the physical presence of God, do you know what, do you know what the response is? The response is not, oh, hey, what up, God? Didn't see you there. When people have an encounter with God, over, and over 20 times in scripture what we see is it, it says that, like oftentimes it says they would fall down as if they were dead. They would, they would fall to their face. In a, like, not, not in like a, a terrifying fear, but yes in a terrifying fear, but like in a, like an uncontrolled reaction that comes from your body. Where you would fall down and, and worship God for, because you recognize who he is. And that's like... Like when you have an encounter with God, that's what happens. And sometimes we see that in worship. People will just lay on their face because they're just worshiping God. They'll go to their knees and worship God. They just humble themselves before God. But what we, the most common reaction we see in Scripture when people have an encounter with God is they fall right on their face. And we see this in a, in a couple places, and even like a surprising place. Let me just show you like a really surprising place where we see this. And some of you guys have probably read this and heard this, but never even acknowledged this in Scripture. In John 18, verse 6, what's happening in John 18, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. What, what's happening in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is getting ready to be hauled off by soldiers. 
This is where Judas is coming to betray Jesus. And Judas comes and he gives him a kiss. And they're, they're asking Jesus, you know, are you, the per, are you Jesus? Are you the one basically we've come to arrest? And this is, these are soldiers that are coming to arrest a prisoner. Right? This, this is somebody that they're coming to take. They're saying, this guy's disturbing the peace. This guy's bad news. We've got to get rid of him. In John 18, verse 6, it says this, When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. These are the soldiers that came to arrest him. And what Jesus did right there, when they came and said, are you Jesus Christ? You know, the, he said, I am he. And what he was doing there was declaring his divinity Saying, I am he. I am the one that you've come. Like, people are saying that, you know, the, the, the disruption that's happening in town is because people are saying that the Messiah has come. And Jesus right here, it's, it doesn't sound like a, like, I am he does not sound like a response. It's like, oh my gosh. The soldiers that came to arrest him fell to the ground in reverence for him. Anybody else think that's weird? If you go to arrest a criminal and you're a police officer, are you Tim Shepard? I am he. Holy. <laughs> Try it next time. When, the, when your teacher says, you know, Chase Windebank, are you here? I am he. Let's just see what happens. Probably won't get that same response. Why? Here it is, Jesus declaring himself as God. What is the response that people have when they encounter the King of kings and Lord of lords? It's not a planned response. The Roman soldiers did not come there preparing to bow their knee to Jesus. They came there to arrest a man. I I want you to know that when you encounter God, there's something that is not a voluntary response in you that there's an involuntary reaction to the king of kings okay and it's it's not a, it's not a choice and it's not him forcing you to bow it's not it's not the angels coming behind you and whacking your knees and throwing your face to the ground it's an involuntary reaction because you are his creation You are created in his image and you have never experienced or encountered this presence of God. And when you encounter that presence, there is nothing in you that can stand. Every bit of strength, every bit of pride that you have and how awesome you are and how well built you are and all the accomplishments you have. There's not one thing that you're going to go and stand in front of the Lord and say, look at my trophies. Look how awesome I am, God doesn't work that way. When you're standing before the king, your knee will bow. Your tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Every person you know that refuses to acknowledge God, every agnostic person, every person that would consider themselves an atheist and that would deny the existence of God. There will be a day that they stand outside the courtroom The thundering voice of God is behind those doors. And they might stand there, I don't believe him. I don't believe in him. I mean, what good is it at that point? 
I'm not going to acknowledge him. If he's God, then why did all this stuff happen? And if he's God, if he's so good, if he's worthy of our worship, and they could come up with every bit of anger and hatred that they have. So much of that is rooted in just pride because they would rather be the God of their own lives and surrender to a God that would actually love them and be gracious towards them. But it's a, it's a stance of like, I will not surrender to anybody. So there will be a day though where we all face God. Those doors will open and we'll be in the, in the throne room. And when that day happens, regardless of your stance of you've acknowledged God your whole life, you served him and you worshiped him here on this night, it doesn't matter. When you're face to face with the King of Kings, it will be an involuntary reaction where you fall on your face and you cry out with everything in you. How, we, how Victor was talking about how you lose your voice. It will be that kind of screaming coming from the innermost parts of your being. Holy, holy, holy. God, you are holy. God, the fear of the Lord. It's the beginning of all wisdom. And when you understand, look, there's a day where no matter what your stance is, you're going to be screaming. His name, God, you are holy, 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 holely, holy. And you'll just write, God, I'm not holy. I'm not worthy to even be here. God, you are holy. God, you are good. God, you, you're everything. God, it's you. You're the one I've been after. You're the one that I've, I didn't, I, could, I didn't even have a real picture of who you were. I didn't understand your majesty. I didn't understand how powerful you are. Holy, holy. Holy, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Revelation 1.17, this is John, one of the disciples, says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Philippians 2, 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and in those on earth and in those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. John 14, 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask anything in my name and I will do it. That's pretty cool. I don't think that one's cool. I'm pretty, I, I, I dig that one. I want you to recognize something though here with that promise because I think we can get things confused here. You know, we can think like, okay, if I just tag, God, I really want an Xbox in Jesus' name. Where is it? We can get confused and we say, well, well so is he withholding? Is his promise not real? And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you got to understand something. Like if you're asking something in somebody's name, you have to understand the character of the person that you're asking. Okay? Because it's like, if you know me and you ask something in my name, like if Tim were to go to Chase and say, hey, Jared was saying that you and I should go steal a car. <laughs> you know, so Tim's going to use in Jared's name I mean, Chase respects me, and he's like, man, yeah, well, whatever Jared says, I'm going to go do. <laughs> so the reality, though, is Chase would recognize my character and say, no, no, no. 
Clearly, that doesn't line up with the character of Jared. And so when we ask something in, the, in his name, in order to ask something in his name, we have to understand his character. So we're not, we're not, he's not giving us a genie in a bottle thing where we can then control God. Remember, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And once we understand that we're not the ones in control, that, that God in this promise right here is not, we don't call upon his name in order to get what we want as if he's a genie. We call upon his name because we're once again surrendering to the lordship of Jesus. Because using the Lord's name in vain is not acknowledging who his true nature is. But when we understand his true nature and we acknowledge that, then we can call upon his name. And walk in the authority that he's given us. That's when we can go, when we're walking out of obedience because our bodies and our lives and our minds were surrendered to the character and the person of Jesus. We can go into environments, into dark places and bring the light of the world. We can go and lay hands on the sick and see them recover in Jesus' name. Not because I have the power to do that. But because he does. And if God exists then miracles can happen, right? If there is a God, then miracles certainly could happen. I mean, if anybody questions whether or not there is a God, like if you can acknowledge, yes, there is a God, then if there is a God, then he can certainly do anything that he wants and he lives outside of our rules and boundaries and he can pull a trump card on any situation that we're facing. And I've seen this with my own eyes I've been in situations in my life where I have seen God do the impossible. I've seen, I've, I've heard the stories of people that I know, not just reading the stories of the Bible, but I've seen people that have lived by faith, called upon the name of Jesus, and have actually lived through and seen incredible things. I mean, things from being in front of a firing squad. I have a friend that lives in Tulsa. His name is Keith Wheeler. He was out carrying a cross, was arrested, was brought in front of a, a firing squad, and and all of a sudden, when, it, when they're supposed to be shooting, all the soldiers fall down because they're, they're blinded by the light. It's real. You can ask anything in his name and it will be done, but you've got to understand his character and who he is. You've got to revere the name of God. Can I give you a warning? This one might actually... This might actually give you a response to somebody someday that says something to you. Or it may just be a warning for you not to say this later. This is going to, I mean, it's a little bit like, a little, little jokey, but pretty serious too. Do you know how many people I have seen devastated and hurt because people have used the name of God or used Jesus to get out of something that they don't want to do. I think it's one of the most common ways that we as believers can use the Lord's name in vain. When you don't have the courage to go break up with your boyfriend, so you tell him, I think Jesus wants us to break up. Well, if you were actually listening to Jesus, then you probably should never have gotten together with him. <laughs> just, just saying. I mean, it, was he saying, you should like this guy because it's the God that doesn't change. He knows the beginning from the end. If you would ask him before you would have done this, 
He could have given you those warnings, but it's like, so let's not use his name to get out of uncomfortable situations. Huh? And when somebody gives you that line, <laughs> do not use the Lord's name in vain. He is bigger than that. But I'm cool. I get it. I'm over you. I'm gone. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for rescuing me now from this sinner that needs to be saved by grace. You with me? Do not use the Lord's name in vain. Understand that, look, his name is holy. He will lead you. He will guide you. We talked about Philippians 3 at the retreat. Some of you guys weren't there. Count everything else as rubbish. Count everything else, all of life's accomplishments. No matter how many trophies you can accumulate in this life, it all pales in comparison to one thing. God, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There will be no place in heaven where we walk into the throne room and, we, and all of you guys are worshiping God. You guys are all eyes up here and I'm going with my trophies. Hey, 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 stop looking at him. Check this out. No. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. My advice to you now will be learn how to do it on earth before one day you involuntarily have to do it in heaven. Learn how to ignore all the things of the earth and put him first. Just like Tim talked about last week, put God first. Get rid of every idol that you would put in front of him for his name is worthy. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Do not treat it casual. Learn how to respect your God. In the Bible, in the original text, they respected and revered the name of God so much they wouldn't even write his name. Like, you had to have been a scribe for so many years before you could even scribble the initials of the name of God because his name was so revered. When we see Yahweh, they did it with, with just abbreviation because they couldn't even get themselves to write the full name of God. It was so powerful. They were, who am I to be worthy enough to even write his name? That was their attitude. Something that's been lost. And I, wanna, I just want to throw it at you tonight and say, man, don't take the Lord's name in vain. His name is holy. His name is worthy. There is no other name that we can call upon. When we understand his character too, we can go before the throne and we can ask anything in his name and be bold. When we're lacking courage, we can ask for strength. The Bible says if any of us lacks wisdom to ask for it and he will liberally throw it out and give it to us. If any of us is feeling hopeless, lonely, man, we, those are things where God is saying, man, I am here. I will walk with you to this. God, give me your strength. When God speaks and says, man, I want you to go on this missions trip, or I want you to go and speak my name, or I want you to be bold with your faith, and it sounds intimidating, that's something where you can say, God, give me strength to do what it is that you're asking. And guess what? When you do it in his name, it will be done for you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be Nervous about the outcome because he is faithful.
You with me? So tonight, here's how I want to end. I want to give you an opportunity to cry out to God. And, and the way that I want to do it, I, I don't want to like force something where I'm like, I want you to scream holy as loud as you can. Like, no. I just want you to have an opportunity to revere and say, God, help me revere your name. Help me not to take your name in vain. Help me, help me see this place is holy ground. Because once, many, many years ago, like I said at the start, there were people that were walking the ground before there was ever a building here that were crying out in his name, asking that this would be a place where people would one day worship. And my prayer tonight is that tonight we would fulfill that, that we would be the answer to those prayers that were prayed for years and years and years. It sounds fun to me. The years ago, before you were ever here, people were praying that this place would be filled with worship. And tonight, we get to live that out. So I want to ask every one of you. I'm going to ask Scott to come back up here. Um, if you want to have your team or whatever come, that's great. What I want to do is I want to end with one of the songs that we did. Let's just go into holy ground. There, let's be reminded, this is holy ground. Holy ground. So tonight, I just want to ask you to take a position of worship. If you want to get out of your seats, if you want to take a knee, if you want to lay on your face, I want you to spend some moments and just contemplate the goodness and the holiness and who God is. And let's just go into worship. Sound good? Go ahead and get in a position. Thank you guys for listening to me over the last 30, 40 minutes. I believe if you will acknowledge God right here, that God will speak to some of you. Get rid of any distraction. Just focus on him. So Lord, I pray a blessing over every person in here. God, I pray that tonight we would revere your name. It would be the name that is above all names. It would be the name that's above our insecurities. It would be the name that's above our fears. It would be a above any sickness or disease. God, it would be above our shame. God, I pray any of those things that are within us that we know do not belong. Because we are your sons and we are your daughters and you have shed your blood to wash us and cleanse us. So God, tonight we just acknowledge you. We say, let you be God and I am not you are worthy and nothing else is in Jesus name thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries if you want to keep up with what's happening with us follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries